Happy New Year, everyone. And yes, 2021 is finally here. As if just overnight, 2020 to 2021, things will magically be better. So I hope and pray that it is better than 2020. But I don't think things are looking up so far. 2020 was a very difficult year for many of us and made all the worse in some states by politicians who specifically targeted places of worship for shutdowns. This, despite the fact that studies showed that regular churchgoers were the only group whose mental health improved over the span of the pandemic. It shows once again the importance of spiritual support, community, and fellowship in surviving hard times. And too many political leaders forgot this in 2020, concentrating on meeting physical needs while isolating people and ignoring their spiritual and emotional needs, even waging war on those who tried to meet those needs. We were not allowed to visit the sick or the elderly. And when we lost them, as too many of us did, we were barred from holding funeral services to comfort the bereaved. Now, as we enter the new year with hope that the irrational disregard and even hostility to our spiritual needs will soon be behind us, I'd like to share something from a book that I read called Rare, Medium, or Well Done, Make the Most of Your Life by Mike Huckabee. He wrote, and I quote, When I was growing up, my bedtime ritual always included a fairy tale that started with Once Upon a Time and ended with the comforting words that we all remember, and they lived happily ever after. As a child of the optimistic 1950s, I dreamed that life might be like happily ever after, that whatever obstacles, dangers, or perils might come my way, in the end, I would live that happily ever after, unquote. Why is it happy endings is seemingly out of reach for so many people right now. Of course, there's always factors beyond our control, like health problems and accidents. None of us can ever know if our birthday or Christmas celebration was the last we'll ever enjoy. We have no way of knowing when it'll end, only that someday it will. And that is why it's said that the only certainties of life are death and taxes. I can't help you with your taxes. But I do have a bit of advice that I think might make death a little bit less frightening and greatly increase your chances of living that happily ever after. For decades, our nation has been focused on personal pleasure. The message drummed into everyone by pop culture is, if it feels good, do it. And it's fostered a culture of self-centeredness that's led to the baby boomers being nicknamed the me generation. Today's young people have been dubbed the iGen because many are so fixated on their selves and selfies that even their own gadgets' names start with I. Advertising bombards us with the message that life is all about me and all about now. Such messages of immediate self-gratification may sell products and services but they cause us to sell our souls if we follow this philosophy to its logical conclusion. 
At some point in life, we all experience events that shake up our routine, much like the agitator in a washing machine shakes loose the grime in our clothes. We may not want or enjoy such experiences, but they are essential to force us to focus on the frailty of life and the certainty of death. They also force us to begin asking what really matters and why. If we react to setbacks solely on what feels good right now, we greatly lower our chances of enjoying a happy future. But if we believe that there is even a remote possibility that our actions have lasting implications beyond the immediate, both within and beyond our lifetimes, it should cause us to think differently, to live differently, and leave a different kind of legacy. Without apology, I believe that the spiritual side of our lives really does matter. To believe otherwise is to define humans as a little more than animated protoplasm going through the motions of life for no particular purpose. I prefer to believe there's more to us than flesh and blood. If we possess a soul capable of living beyond our lifetimes, then the seeds that we plant in this life will yield fruit forever. If you believe those things, the ultimate becomes more important than the immediate. When we decide to live beyond our lifetimes, our responsibilities to the next generation will outweigh our roles in our current jobs. More important than the money we're paid for our work is what we will become as a result of our work. Our character will be more important than the careers that we follow. And for all of us, life begins at once upon a time. Unlike the fairy tales, it's up to us to make the choices that determine whether the last line of our stories will read, and they lived happily ever after. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Around the Campfire with Kate. The introduction music is by Dave Brain, Jeremy Harrell. America is dying, but it's not too late. Go on over to YouTube and listen to Dave Bray's patriotic music and be blessed. Now remember, this is a live call-in show through Skype only, so if you want to share an idea, suggestion, or comment your own opinion, please feel free to call in using Skype through PSN Radio. I'm going to give a speech that Paul Harvey gave back in 1965. Freedom to Chains. I may not do him justice, but the justice of the words are still the same. Quote, if America get, ever gets whacked, it will be from the inside, unquote, said by Paul Harvey in 1965. And there's no doubt that Mr. Harvey would have been labeled a racist and a bigoted hater in today's politically correct world. This is back when the Republican and Democrat Party had principles. The baby boomer generation from 1963 onwards rejected ethics, morality, and good values in large numbers. Everything was mine and believing nothing was bad. I'm sure if Gen Y or the millennials will wake up in large enough numbers, they will see it before it's too late. Therefore, it is up to my generation 
to educate and inform the masses as to why I spent so many years developing myself to be worthy of acceptance into this great constitutional republic ever placed on the planet and finally making it as a legal and patriotic citizen of the United States of America. The spirit of 1776 has never, ever fully gone away, and neither is it too far away for, from this generation, even now. In God we trust. Paul Harvey, and I quote. Now then, what makes a nation strong? Taxes? <laughs> There's nothing new about those either. The first income tax was paid by Abraham. It was written on a rock by the hand of divinity and handed to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. And you might want to remember this. It was at the flat rate of 10%. It promised the wrath of God on anybody who tampered with or violated that law. Christ was born in Bethlehem because Joseph was on his way to pay his taxes. Joseph was a relatively well-to-do landowner of the house and lineage of King David. Yet the taxes exacted by Caesar Augustus was so exorbitant that he didn't have enough money left over to employ a trusted messenger for the mission. So, though his wife was great with child, he made the journey himself. And Christ was born in Bethlehem because Joseph was on his way to pay his taxes. And Christ was born in a manger because there was a housing shortage when he got there. Our problems, people, are not new. At Runnymede, the Magna Carta was handed to King John on the end of a sword, denying to royalty the right of unlimited taxation. Yet, you know it was for us, the American people, to become the first in recorded history ever voluntarily to surrender our rights to private property. <laughs> oh, yes, we did. With an innocent-sounding constitutional amendment, the 16th, which says that, quote, Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived, unquote. And we forgot to put any limit the, to the extent to which we could tax ourselves. Conceivably, we could be taxed out of all private property. We could be taxed not 70, 80, 90, but at 100%. We could be awakened one morning and find the government owns our farm, the house, the car, and has a mortgage on the church, legally. Historically, any nation has taxed its people more than 25% of their income, their national income. Initiative was destroyed, and that nation was headed for economic eclipse. Presently, 1965, the American people are being taxed 33% of their total income. History says we'll roll forward on momentum for a little while, but we'd better get some more gas in the tank pretty quick. You see, ours is not the first by George good government to arise on the world stage. There have been several. Rome, Spain, Greece, China, and others, and each enjoyed about 150 years of its zenith. And that's just about our time in the new world. And then each decayed away. 
Not one of them was ever destroyed by anybody else's marching legions. Each rotted away morally, socially, culturally, economically, simultaneously. You know one of the most cruel paradoxes of history is this. Because each was a good government, it bore bountiful fruit, and when it bore bountiful fruit, the people got fat. And when the people got fat, they got lazy. And when they got lazy, they began to want to absolve themselves of personal responsibility and turn over to the government to do for them things which traditionally they had been doing for themselves. At first, there appears to be nothing wrong asking government to perform some extra service for you. But if you ask the government for extra services, government, in order to perform its increasing function, has to get bigger, right? And as a government gets bigger, in order to support its increasing size, it has to what? Tax the individual more. So the individual gets littler. And to collect the increased taxes requires more tax collectors, so the government gets bigger. And in order to pay the additional tax collectors, it has to tax the individual a whole lot more, so the government gets bigger and the individual gets littler. And the government gets bigger, and the individual gets littler, until the government is all-powerful, and the individual is hardly anything at all. The government is all-powerful, and the people are cattle. Now, some believe that the need is for the vigorous, strong man to rise on the scene, to regulate and regiment the affairs of men. Yet history tells us there have been several such. Once upon a time, there was a nation, great and powerful and good. Few were suffering from the aftermath of war, from a de depression. And then came upon the scene a leader, an idealist, self-confident, intolerant to criticism. A wise lady limited his early activities to combating the financial depression. Nobody could argue with that. But in a while, he began to regulate business and establish new rules to govern commerce and finance. Some of them, in a diametric, diametric, I can't even say the word, some of them in diametrical disagreement with the God-made laws of supply and demand, but anybody who disagreed with those rules, were promptly fired. The new leader saw that under the old system of free enterprise, landlords prospered, so he levied new taxes to take away their profits and destroy what he called the monopoly of capital. To please laborers, he controlled prices. To win the favor of the farmers, he gave them loans and subsidies. The national debt mounted alarmingly. Whenever anybody tried to tell him that governments, even as people, can go broke when they spend beyond their incomes, he said, they just didn't understand deficit finance. Well, what do you say? Did he build on rock or on sand? I say on sand. For you see, this was the story of Emperor Su Tong Fo, who led China to its doom 
more than a thousand years ago. I am satisfied with all my heart that if Uncle Sam ever does get whipped here too, it will have to be an inside job. It was internal decay. It was not external attack that destroyed the Roman Empire. Starting about 146 BC, internal conditions in Rome were characterized by a welter of class wars and conflicts, street brawls, corrupt governors, lack of personal integrity and moral responsibility. About 290 years after Christ, a Roman emperor named Diocelation, he took over. He really grabbed the bull by the horns. He took over in a period of turmoil and severe depression. The thing Diocletian did was call in the gold and close the banks and raise the taxes. He reduced the power of the Senate, delegated its power to a lot of little government bureaus. Do you know they even had a Transportation Act back there? prescribing the fee required to rent a laden jackass per mile. And at today's rate of exchange, it would have amounted to about one-eighth of a cent per mile, which meant that in order to make a profit, a jackass would have to carry five passengers. That was simply beyond the capacity of the jackass. Diocletian put millions of people on the public payroll. But when this failed to do the job, the country was still in trouble. He asked more personal powers for himself. For a brief while, incidentally, they were standby powers. But then he used them all at once. He froze wages. He froze prices. He froze jobs. He stopped profits. He dictated to the farmer what he could plant when and how he should sell it, and for how much, and he rationed food. And what happened? The labor market closed down. Incentive was gone. Farm life became dependent on bureaucratic red tape. Exorbitant taxes cost the farmer his land. He kept for himself only a small plot on which he might grow turnips for his family. He lost the rest of it to the state, and without food... And with the incentive gone, city life stagnated and declined. And Rome passed into what history is recorded as the Dark Ages, lasting a thousand years. Just by turning to the left, the world has gone in circles. A nation would evolve from a monarchy into an oligarchy, from an oligarchy to a dictatorship, from a dictatorship to bureaucracy from bureaucracy to pure democracy, where, finally, the people would cry out from the chaos and confusion of the streets, Oh, please, God, give us a king. And God would give them a king. And they'd have a monarchy again and start the whole silly cycle anew. Now, either we will profit from the errors of their ways, or it follows us as the night, the day. Our children are going to have to relive the Dark Ages all over again. How come, after thousands of years of experiment, our new nation has come so far 
so fast. And in less than 200 years, what is the secret of our success? Well, I think it had to do with the basic American's creed. Perhaps it never passed a pioneer's lips in this form. But if it had, I think he would have said something like this. I believe in my God and my country and in myself. I know that sounds like a trite, too simple to say. And yet it's a rare man today who will dare stand up and say, I believe in my God and my country and in myself and in that order. When the early American pioneer first turned his eyes toward the West, there were only Indian trails or traces, as they were called back then. For him to follow through the wilderness, do you know today you can roller skate from Miami to Seattle, from San Diego to Plymouth Rock? In this little bitty instant, as historical time is measured, our 7% of the Earth's population has come to possess more than half of all the world's good things. How come? Well, sir, when that early pioneer turned his eyes toward the West, he didn't demand that somebody else look after him. He did not demand free education. He didn't demand a guarantee rocking chair at eventide. He didn't demand that somebody else take care of him if he got ill or got old. There was an old-fashioned philosophy in those days that a man was supposed to provide for his own and for his own future. He didn't demand a maximum amount of money for a minimum amount of work. Nor did he expect pay for no work at all. Come to think of it, he didn't demand anything. That hard-handed pioneer just looked out there at the rolling plains stretching away to the tall green mountains, then lifted up his eyes to the blue skies and said, Thank you, God. Now I can take it from here. That spirit is not dead in our country. It's dormant. It's been discredited in some circles, driven underground, but it isn't dead. It's just that a few seasons ago, politicians baited their hooks with free barbecue and trading a Ponzi promise for votes began telling us, we don't want opportunity anymore. We want security. We don't want opportunity, they said. We want security. And they said it so often that we came to believe them. We wanted security. And they gave us chains. And we were secure. Suddenly, with our constitutional guarantees depleted, with our national character eroding away, with our tax laws penalizing those who would dare to prosper, with workers concentrating on how little they can get by with instead of how much they can produce. Suddenly, we looked overhead one day to discover that the this was a Russian accomplishment that free men dragging their fate had been outdistanced by slave workers dragging their chains. And we were so afraid. Perhaps 
this was a disguised blessing too. Maybe a dramatic accomplishment by this Cold War adversary was necessary to get us off the dead centers and back to work again. If we can revive it ourselves, then in our youth, something of that basic American creed, the horizontal, has never ever been so limitless. For man stands now on the threshold of his highest adventure of all, his first faltering steps into space. Twenty years from today, half of the products you will be using in your everyday living aren't even in the dictionary yet. We've got it made. If we just keep on, keeping on. We've got it made. And if we don't, we will follow those other great nation states of history into the graveyard of ignominious oblivion. History promises only this for certain. We will get exactly what we deserve. Unquote. Thank you, Paul Harvey. So, what makes a nation strong? It certainly is not taxes. It is freedom. Abraham Lincoln once said, quote, America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves, unquote. Norman P. Volkowski wrote the American's Creed as, quote, I do not choose to be a common man. It is my right to be uncommon. I seek opportunity to develop whatever talents God gave me, not security. I do not wish to be a kept citizen, humbled and doled by having the state look after me. I want to take a calculated risk to dream and to build, to fail and to succeed. I refuse to barter incentive for a dole. I prefer the challenges of life to the guaranteed existence, the thrill of fulfillment to the stale calm of utopia. I will not trade freedom for beneficence, nor my dignity for a handout. I will never cower before an earthly master, nor bend to any threat. It is my heritage to stand erect, proud and unafraid, to think and act myself, enjoy the benefit of my creations, and to face the world and boldly say, this, with God's help, I have done. Unquote. From freedom to chains, we are here. We are living it now. What is happening now in our nation is happening exactly how I narrated what Paul Harvey had said in 1965. And what are we doing to survive the next phase? The last phase of the Biden crime family puts it, it is the next phase. Creepy Joe claims that the United States Constitution will be null and void by late March, if not sooner, of this new year. 
if he is sworn in as our, our next president. He will use the Constitution that he loathes to destroy our very Constitution so that he can say that the Constitution is no longer valid for the United States of America. So what are you going to do to prepare for this next phase? In almost any survival emergency, the United States Air Force believes two magic numbers can help save your life. In its grueling survival course at Fairchild Air Force Base in Sp near Sp Spokane, Washington, the first thing that instructors drill into your head is 98.6. Whatever you do, they say, protect your core body temperature. They don't even bother to attach degrees to the, to the numerals. Their slogan is simple, maintain 98.6. It's the top priority. And as we learn growing up, cold kills. In a survival situation, everything else like food and shelter can wait. Once the Air Force bangs 98.6 into your brains, there's one other digit it force feeds. Every student learns the magic number three. Whether you're an F-15 fighter pilot or a single mom in a car or a car accident or taking a walk in the park, the number three can keep you alive. The rule of three states that you cannot survive three seconds without spirit and hope. Three minutes without air. Three hours without shelter in extreme conditions. Three days without water. Three weeks without food. Three months without companionship or love. Air Force training emblazons the number three on your mind. They make you memorize the order of the rules so that you will always know your survival priorities and be able to manage your needs. Then they drop you off in the woods, deprive you of food, and run you all around until you can't think straight. They teach you which plants to eat and which ones are poisonous. They show you how to make a slingshot and hunt for your dinner. They rough you up and interrogate you like you're a prisoner of war. And at the end of the 17-day course, they hope you never forget those numbers. 98.6 and 3. In the fog of war or a downpour of a storm, those magic numbers keep your priorities clear and help you stay alive. I'm going to hit part one of Escape and Evasion, some bug out tips. Part two will be broadcast on Thursday night, January 7th, 2021. Escape should always be on your mind during soul unrest. When driving, Never get boxed in between other cars or obstacles. For example, stay far enough from the car in front of you so you can maneuver around them if needed. And never, ever take the middle lane in a three-lane road with cars on either side of you. You will not be able to move around them. What would you do if your car were disabled? 
you might still need to move faster than you can walk. It's a good idea to keep a mountain bike or other portable foldable bicycle or scooter in your vehicle. If you run out of gas, your car is otherwise disabled, you'll still need to be able to cover a lot of ground in a hurry. If you use a bicycle or other human-powered vehicle for transport, do not forget to think in terms of equipment. If you cannot carry more than the contents of your backpack on your shoulders, you might as well be walking. A bicycle equipped with a basket, bags, or side saddles can help transport more gear, and you'll still be able to move much faster than you would if you were moving on foot. And remember, not to think in terms of cars and four-wheel drive trucks when it comes to escape and evasion with a vehicle. Dirt bikes have every bit the off-road capacity of a, that a truck has, and they're more versatile and much more compact. They can go where trucks cannot, and they're light enough that you can move them with your own body if you get stuck. They're also very, very economical when it comes to fuel. We often plan in times of social chaos to avoid contact. What if you needed to be rescued, however? Pack a reflective vest or the reflective tape that runners use. When in need of rescue, Use these to increase your visibility while signaling for help. Because these are small, portable clothing items, you can take them off when you do not want to be found. Hiding or being rescued is then entirely up to you in a social chaos situation. There's a saying, pick a lock and lock behind you. It is a good idea to familiarize yourself with basic lock-picking skills. Tools and books on how to pick locks are readily available. Your state or locality may have laws about the possession of burglary tools, so do some research before you obtain these items. Yet still, it's a good idea to know how to pick a lock. If you can disable a lock to get past it without damaging it, then you can relock it behind you in order to safeguard your path. Whenever possible, get above an emergency situation. The thing you use to gain altitude could be a tree, an access letter, ladder, a fire escape, or other means of gaining altitude. Many people will simply forget to look up in an emergency, which means they'll pass right by you. Being up above the action means you have a better chance of spotting real trouble before it can get to you too. When choosing a location to meet your family members or the members of your party, 
Consider what is likely to draw looters and rioters. Choose a location that has no value and no interest to such people whatsoever. The last thing you want to do when choosing your rally point is to put it right by a glass-fronted store full of stereos or a gun shop or a grocery store. You want to avoid the places that looters and rioters will attack. If you feel you are in danger of being squeezed by a crowd, hold your arms straight up. As the crowd compresses, bring your arms down, lifting yourself above all of those next to you. Alternatively, just raise your torso above the crowd. There's more than once people have been crushed because they could not bring enough air into their lungs. The danger of being killed by a crowd squeezed is real, and you must be prepared for it. You may not think as running as survival training, but it might be smart to take a little bit of running up now. If you can run a mile every day, you can put a mile between you and the emergency in a hurry. This increases your chances of survival dramatically. Gradually, Building up the strength and endurance to run a mile every day will make you stronger and more fit and healthy overall, which also improves your chances. If you believe in political rallies or other political events, make sure you park your car well away from any huge crowd. or any damage. If something goes wrong and social chaos breaks out, your car will be in a lot less danger than if it was close to the action. You'll also be there if you need to get away once you clear the emergency condition, whereas it might not be if you were closer to the event. In an escape and evasion situation, you may be captured. Your captors may be moving you from one location to another. Do not be afraid to turn yourself into dead weight by pretending to faint. Someone who has fainted is a burden, and your captors may decide it's better to find someone else who can move under his or her own power. They may drop you and move on to someone else. Your IR footprint, your infrared picture, or your body heat may be something you'll want to conceal. Insulating space blankets are thin strips of material that work by keeping your body heat in. Use the same insulating blanket to hold your heat in to mask your body heat signature from infrared detection equipment. Make sure to wrap the blanket around your shoes and heat to prevent leakage. You could even paint the outside, which is shiny, to keep it from standing out visibly. If you're trapped in a mob confronting police, do not go backward or forward. 
go lateral. As you're moved along with the mob, look for buildings with more than one exit. Hotels are great for this. Enter the nearest suitable building. Cross the lobby and exit the other side. Fly to another street. If you're on the wrong side of the mob, pick your target building and pick it well in advance and begin moving sideways as the crowd moves you forward and back. This is the way a ferry crosses a river. It aims either upstream or downstream, moving across the river as the current helps it meet to its landing. If at all possible, avoid demonstrations. If you get caught near one that turns ugly, staying low is your best bet. The more upright you are, the more visible of a target you make. Stay low, stay alert, pray, and make sure you always know where you're moving. It may be necessary to pop up like a prairie dog periodically to assess your position before you return to moving low. But the most important thing is stay low and keep moving. Remember that in urban areas, obstacles and other artificial structures that can cover and conceal you may also hinder your escape. Obstacles are double-edged in that way, depending on where you are in relationship to where you're going. They may be helping you hide or they may be cutting you off. Electrical and natural gas transmission right-of-way corridors provide good highways for travel that most people do not consider. What's the best way or what's best is that they're usually near wooded areas and other places where concealment is plentiful. Follow them, but stay near the wooded sections when on foot. Be prepared to duck and hide whenever necessary. And when you're traveling, become the gray man. When walking through a working class neighborhood, wear working class clothes. When walking through an upscale neighborhood, dress to blend in. If you feel that you must wear tactical clothing, choose clothing as close to normal civilian dress as possible. Your backpack and other travel gear should not scream, I'm carrying weapons inside. Don't look like a victim, but don't stand out like a sore thumb either. Remember that in social chaos events, most people will go to places already known to them. This could cause great danger depending on the scenario. What if during social unrest, a variety of parties desperate for supplies and safety all converged on the local mall? If you think about it, someone else could think about it. Avoid places where other people are likely to go. During social chaos, large crowds are the worst danger you can face. You probably already know you shouldn't drive a car right into an angry crowd unless you're prepared to gun the accelerator and keep driving as fast as you can. You may have seen footage of people shaking a car as part of a mob before eventually turning it over on its side or even on its roof. And what if you're just yanked out of your car? Have you forgotten the most fundamental safety precaution of all? Lock your car doors at all times. 
It's a simple act that helps safeguard you wherever you are in your vehicle. If you carry a water bladder or pack of some kind, include an inline filter for it. If you do, you can then fill the bag from unclean sources, yet filter it as you drink. This enables you to filter water from more than one person. The purified water needs less cleaning less often and requires less energy to drink. You know how to get home or to your rendezvous point, but what if you can't get there from here? What if somebody is following you and you need to lead them away? Then you need to get home from a different location. You need to research more than one way to get home. Then you need to practice using those routes. It pays to vary your routine. It's a running joke in zombie movies. A live person or a person who sees the zombies and starts shuffling around, acting as the zombies do. And pretty soon the monsters ignore them and they can go about their own way in peace. The same is true of angry, riding crowds during times of social chaos. Yell along with the crowd. Blend in with them. Go along to get along. If they think you're one of them, they won't come after you. But if someone else is after you, the crowd that thinks you're with them will defend you as you make your escape. During times of social chaos, avoid making eye contact with as many people as possible. Eye contact will be seen as hostile and as a challenge by some agitated parties. When moving through a crowd, look beyond everyone as if to point in the distance and look as if you're concentrating on that point. If you look distracted, like you have some place you need to be at that has nothing to do with those around you, they will tend to ignore you as you go on your way. If someone tries to make eye contact with you, look around them as if you're already focused somewhere else. You may have to travel on foot during social chaos, so don't make the worst mistake you can make. Do not travel from social chaos in brand new shoes or boots. Your shoes or boots must be well broken in or you're going to injure your feet with cracks and blisters. Heavy socks can make a big difference, so carry these and bandages in your go bag. Whether it's a crowd or some other spectacle, the place to be is never in the heart of the action. No matter how interesting something may, may seem, if you are at its center, you will be trapped if it turns ugly. Always stay on the perimeter of the excitement and know where your exits are, as many exits as possible. There's no way to prepare for every scenario, but in times of social chaos, especially if you manage to make an enemy of someone on purpose or by accident, if you can disguise yourself, you can avoid trouble. Carry with you some means of changing your appearance. A hat, a scarf, a reversible shirt. Any of these things can help change your appearance so that you are not immediately recognizable. Wearing something very obvious, then discarding it, is another way to draw attention away from yourself, such as ditching a hat after you've developed pursuers while wearing it. 
What is your backup safety zone? Any event may make your home with all of your survival stores or your bug out location with all of your well-planned caches completely unavailable. Do you have another option? If you have not planned ahead for this, you very much need to do so now. Even in lawful, moral self-defense, confrontation, and a social chaos situation can kill you. You must be careful not to do anything illegal that could come back to haunt you later. Remember, cameras and witnesses are everywhere, but you must not stay behind to get killed by a mob if you've angered some among them by engaging one of their numbers. Hit and run or hit and evade may be the order of the day in social chaos self-defense. Even if you believe you are a member of the crowd, such as demonstrators whose demonstrations are that you were attending, a mob has a mind of its own. The group mind can turn on you when you least expect it. Say one wrong thing, make one wrong move, or get picked out of the crowd by someone else, by mistake or on purpose, and you could be in danger of losing your life to an angry rebel. Always remember that crowds are dangerous and can turn on you in a heartbeat and never trust them. When forced to move with a crowd, stay at the edges of that crowd. But also be aware that you must turn when the crowd does or risk being outed by the crowd's movement. Stay near the back and break away if you must change direction. But make sure you do it when nobody can see you. You don't want suddenly to become the target if a member of the crowd sees you fleeing. We don't like to admit that race and ethnic background may make a difference to some people, but it really does during times of social chaos. The one disguise you can never take off is your skin color. During a riot or other act of civil unrest, you don't want to be caught being the wrong color or the wrong background in some neighborhoods. Remember Reginald Denny, the white truck driver who was dragged out of his truck and beaten by an angry mob after the Rodney King Rodney King verdict, he was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time while being the wrong race. Never forget that you may become a target simply because of the color of your skin or the aspects of your appearance. Are you proud to be an American? You should be. But if you're in a foreign country when unrest breaks out, remember that America is frequently the target of anger from other countries. If you're caught on the street looking American, it may be the last thing you ever do. Don't be afraid to tell people you're from Canada, if you absolutely must, and dress and act like the locals whenever possible. Adopting local dress is a very good way to blend in when abroad. Wherever you go, whatever you do, keep in mind that when you're in public, you must know how to get out of public. Always note at least two exit routes when you enter a new area, preferably not the primary route from which you just entered. Assume that the obvious means, means of travel may be blocked and you have a plan for working around these. This should become second nature to you. 
practice until it's automatic. And always avoid, avoid, avoid. If you work near high-profile areas, such as your state capital or a national landmark, listen for the loud sounds of demonstrations and riots, screams, chants, extended honking of car horns, and so on, are all signals that some sort of demonstration is getting out of hand. When you see the potential edge of a mass unrest event, turn the other way. Ignore the impulse to see what's going on. You can hear the lies about it on the news later. And we all think about being a hero. We all fantasize about being the guy who saved the day. The urge to do good and to help other people is very strong, especially for those of us who are basically decent and good at heart. Just remember that you are not your own person if anyone else is depending on you. You belong to your family first. You protect them and see to their safety first. Avoid the urge to be a hero to strangers. Don't risk yourself when your family requires your protection. A good rule of thumb for travel, especially if you must navigate by mapper and landmark, is to know where you're going, where you're coming from, and what is in between. Plotting out these three points and recognizing them using using landmarks is a good way to make sure you don't go around in circles or miss your route. Plotting the midpoint between the start and the end help keeps you on track. If you have the ability to store it, make sure you keep plenty of spare gasoline on hand and do so safely and make sure you don't create a fire hazard. And also, it's not a good idea to keep your spare gas in the trunk of your vehicle, even in a properly approved container, because fumes can enter your vehicle. For long-term storage, make sure you stabilize the gasoline to prevent it from turning to varnish. Remember, gas will be among the first commodities to be rationed or to run out entirely during a time of social chaos. Angry mobs are often dispersed by riot police wielding fire hoses. At least that's how it looks in the movies. A big canister of bear spray. Maybe what you need to disperse an angry mob, however. At the very least, it may help back the mob down long enough for you to get away. Stay alert to conditions further up the road while driving, especially if you're on a highway on which you could be trapped. During some conditions, drivers have been trapped for hours, even days on highways from which they could not turn off once they were stuck between other cars. Never drive into unknown congestion on the road. Stop, observe, and if necessary, turn around. When caught in a large group of people, remember that slowly rotating your body can help you to corkscrew your way out of danger. As the people around you move, your rotation Will help carry you past them and beyond the crowd. This movement will also prevent you from being thrown to the ground and trampled. Your family, your team members are the most important people in your world. You need to plan ahead to keep them safe. And one of the best ways to do this is to develop a special code word among them. That code word should be the signal that tells your family it's time to meet at the predetermined safe location. The code word prevents others around your family and team members from knowing that something is wrong which may help provide a window through which they and you can escape. Have you ever traveled at night or at night in the rain? 
do you hit things you would have easily avoided during the day? The dangers of travel during the night are many times greater than traveling during the day. While night offers cover, it also conceals hazards. Avoid traveling at night whenever possible. Things we think are impassable barriers seldom are. The walls of the average home or structure are mostly drywall held, by, held up by studs. There may or may not be insulation within the walls, but this rips easily by hand. You can kick through or break through most drywall sheets. If you have a heavy tool like a hammer, it's a whole lot easier. With a little work and a little time, you can break through most ordinary walls, especially walls in cheaply built modern structures. Remember the saying, the best defense is a good offense. If you are being pursued, then you are the hunted. Turn the predator into the prey. Turn the tables on the hunters and make them the hunted by doubling back and around. Make them your target rather than being theirs. Once the tables are turned, they usually break off their pursuit. Sensing movement of a crowd is very important. Note the crowd's movement and stay with its periphery. But do not give in. Do not be driven by the crowd. If you allow the crowd to dictate your movement, you will slowly become part of the mob and it will be harder to pull yourself out. Railways, even in times of declining rail freight, are common throughout the United States. These railways frequently have ditches alongside them. Those ditches provide a great alternative highway for those traveling on foot. Use the ditches parallel to the tracks to expedite your discreet travel. And remember that a crowd never takes narrow, difficult routes that would break it up and spread it out. A crowd always takes major routes, routes of the least resistance. When planning your escape routes, include as many non-main routes as you possibly can. The smaller and more narrow, the better, for this prevents the mob from following you as a whole. When planning your safe areas, don't forget things like consulates and embassies when in a foreign country, as well as homes and businesses of friends and family. By establishing multiple routes to these multiple locations, you can create a network grid of safe places to go to in the event that social chaos breaks out. If you're not mobile, get mobile. If you are mobile, stay mobile. Buildings are natural barriers that break the momentum of a mob. They will move around buildings because they have to. On foot, get to the closest building and follow its perimeter away from the action. It is in the lee in which you can shelter from the storm or riot. Always remember that united we stand, united we win. Why am I telling you all this? Because many of us need to know. And if you already know, then it's a refresher. And it will not hurt. This ends the broadcast for me tonight. If you like the show, please tell your friends. And thank you for joining me around the campfire. Remember to train hard and train smart. To survive, thrive, and stay alive. Remember, part two will be next Thursday night, January 7th. This is Kate, signing off until next time. Say you love this country.